Take your Bibles, turn with me please to the book of Acts. Acts, we are not in Acts 2, we're in Acts chapter number 11. We'll get back to Acts 2. Uh, we've still got a few more messages in that series, but I uh, felt like today, being the last Sunday of 2020, I felt like God was leading in a little bit of a different direction. Would you stand with me please? Out of respect for the word of God, Acts chapter number 11. And we'll begin reading in verse number 19. If you're there, say amen. amen. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenix and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were uh, come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they should cleave unto the Lord, uh, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Well, I love this passage of scripture. I've preached from it many times down through my ministry. In fact, I've got a series in the bookstore uh, that you could buy uh, three, at least three messages entitled, What is a Christian? Taken from these verses that we just read. But this morning, I want to focus on that thought in verse number 26. It came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. I want to preach on this thought, lessons learned in the last year. Lessons learned in the last year. Lord, help us this morning as we Preach your word. May our hearts be stirred and challenged, and may you be glorified. Give us liberty and power to proclaim your word in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much for standing. In this passage of Scripture that we've just read, God has begun an amazing work in the hearts of the Gentiles. We know that in the book of Acts, big things happen. In Acts chapter number 2, and the 3,000 people that got saved in Acts number 2, the Bible tells us they were Jews from all these different nations. But in the book of Acts, God began to expand and God began to reach out. And by the way, it wasn't a plan B for the Gentiles to be saved. That was, what, that was part of the Great Commission, to go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Jesus died on the cross, John 3, 16, uh, to save the whole world. So it wasn't a plan B. Uh, I know what the Bible tells us in James 1, uh, John 1, he came unto his own and his own received him not. That didn't catch God by surprise, amen? Uh, but throughout the book of Acts, we see the church at Jerusalem begin to be scattered, and as they were scattered, the gospel began to be spread abroad, and the Bible tells us uh, that people begin to be saved all the way in these other cities, and, and um, I, I, as, before I get into the meat of the message, let me give you three things uh, to kind of set the table for what happened in Antioch during this year in verse number 26. If you back up, to verse number 19 and 20, 
you see their conviction. You see their conviction. Verse 21, the Bible says that a great number of them believed in verse number 21. The hand of the Lord was with them and a great number believed. They heard the gospel. They heard the preaching of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit began to work in their heart and God began to take that preaching and begin to do a work in their heart and they believed. And I believe that uh, that has a, a direct connection to that passage of scripture, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. When they heard the gospel, when they heard the word of God preached, God was with them and a great number believed. Are you, do you remember the day that you believed? Do you remember the day that somebody shared the gospel with you and down deep in your heart you knew that that was the truth? You knew that that was what you needed. You knew that that's what you had been looking for. We see their conviction in verse 21. Then in verse number 21, we see their conversion. The Bible says a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. I like that word turn. Amen. That's a, that's a good Bible word. That word repent means to turn from, turn to. And there's a lot of people today don't like the word repentance. They preach that repentance is a works salvation. But these people turned unto the Lord, meaning they turned away from false idols. They turned away from their traditions. They turned away from their beliefs and their own uh, ideas. And they turned unto the Lord. My dear friend's gone home to be with the Lord. Uh, Brother Lee Davis gave as good of a definition of repentance as I've ever heard in my life. He talked about a drowning man drowning out in the middle of the, uh, of the ocean and somebody throwing a life preserver to him and he grabs a hold of that life preserver. He said repentance is turning loose of what's not working and grabbing what's working. Boy, the more I think about that, the better I like it. There's a lot of people today grabbing onto a lot of things and it's not working for them grabbing a hold of their addictions and their drugs and grabbing a hold of their monies and their hobbies and all these different things and it's not filling that void. These people believed and turned unto the Lord. We see their conviction, we see their conversion and then in verse 22, we see their confession. The Bible says, then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem. What about that? There was such a drastic change in their life that they heard about it all the way in Jerusalem. I wonder, did anybody notice it when you got saved? Hey, when you got saved, was there a noticeable change in your life? Did it make the news? Is everybody still with me? Preacher, I'm one of those undercover Christians. I hate to pop your bubble this morning, but there ain't no such thing. Amen. Okay, when, you, hey, when somebody as big as God moves and somebody as little as us, he's going to stick out somewhere. Amen. People around you is going to know something's different. I know I've told this before, but I'm going to tell it again because it just came to my mind. My father-in-law tells about the time he got saved. And he was mean. He was, a, he, was a, he, was a, he was an ungodly man when he got saved. And he says when he came home from church that night after getting saved, he said even the dog knew he was different. So the dog used to tuck his tail and run when he'd pull up in the yard. He said the dog walked up to him wagging his tail. Amen, a transformation. There was a conviction. There was a conversion. There was a confession. The tidings of these things came into the ears which, uh, of the church which was in Jerusalem. And Bible says they sent Barnabas in verse 22, look at verse 23, who when he came and had seen the grace of God. Boy, you could preach a whole message on that. He saw the grace of God. 
The, we talk about amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. It was so amazing that somebody else could see it. Amen. That's not my message. I'm just sitting, I'm just wetting my whistle here. What I want to focus on is that statement in verse number 26. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. A lot can happen in just a year, can it not? This year has been one of the most bizarre one of the most unprecedented years in all of human history. He said, well, it's been a crazy year for me. It's been a crazy year for the whole world. We've witnessed things transpire in the last 12 months that we could have only imagined prior to this year. We've seen and heard and experienced things that would have been in a science fiction movie last year or in a conspiracy theorist web blog. I'm serious, if, they, if, if somebody last year had said what happened this year was going to happen, we'd have, we'd, have, we'd have found a straight jacket to put him in and put him in a padded cell. We've experienced a virus that created such a ripple effect that the world will never be the same. This world was radically altered this year. From Wuhan, China, or so they tell us, at this point, I don't believe anything anybody tells me. And if you still believe Dr. Fauci, I got some lakefront, oceanfront property in Kansas I'd like to sell you. I just had to get that off my chest. But from China, a virus was either accidentally or deliberately released into the public. We'll never know. And from that, we have watched unimaginable repercussions and unexplainable reactions and responses. Almost a year later, can you believe it's been almost a year? By the way, President Trump referred to the coronavirus in his January State of the Union address. They knew about it in January. They were working on it in January. It didn't really start to affect us till the end of February and in March, but this has been almost a year since this thing came on us. And almost a year later, schools are still closed. Many businesses are still closed. Many churches are still closed. God help us. People are afraid to come out of their house. Fear and panic and anxiety has become normal everyday occurrences, so much so that if you are not afraid and you are not worried, you're labeled as uncaring, unloving, and dangerous. And if the virus wasn't enough to make the year one of the craziest years in our country's history, then there was the election. We watched a man that couldn't fill a phone booth supposedly get more votes than anybody in the history of this nation. We've had the most chaotic, abnormal, unrealistic, and unbelievable election disaster in our nation's history. One thing I can say, I learned a lot this past year. I learned a lot about a lot of things. I saw and heard things and experienced things that I'll never forget. Saw some things and heard some things I'd like to forget. In this story, back to our text, 
In this year that took place, the Bible says a whole year, they assembled themselves with the church. They saw and heard and experienced things that they never forgot. Things that drastically changed them. What a difference a year can make. I, I want to just give you three things that they learned in a year. Things that we would be wise to learn as well if we haven't already. Are you ready? Number one, write this down. They learned the potential of balanced teamwork. I love how that they sent Barnabas in verse number 22, that when he got to Antioch, he came and saw the grace of God and he was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart that they would cleave unto the Lord. And the Bible says that in verse number 24, because of his testimony, he was a good man full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And because of his labor and his service, much people was added unto the Lord. Verse 25, then departed Barnabas to Tarsus, Tarsus for to seek Saul. It got to the point to where he realized this was more than one person can do. This was more than one preacher can handle. This is more, you say, well, uh, he, he, if he'd been good enough, if he'd been full of the Holy Ghost, he was good enough. He was a good man. He was full of the Holy Ghost, the Bible says. And the Bible says that he was full of much faith and yet he still needed help. It was more than Barnabas could handle alone. He realized that he needed help to effectively minister to all these people that God was bringing into the church there at Antioch. And the number of people needing help, needing attention surpassed Barnabas' ability. Verse 24 ends with, and much people was added to the, to the Lord. And verse 25 starts with, then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. He needed help and he went and found a man that was willing to come and help him minister to the church at Antioch. By the way, I think it's interesting that even Jesus Christ didn't work alone. He was all-powerful, was he not? He was all-knowing, was he not? He was perfectly capable of ministering to each and every individual that crossed his path in a very specific and personal and permanent way, and yet Jesus Christ chose to have people helping him and laboring and serving alongside of him. One of our biggest mistakes is thinking we can handle it by ourselves when we can't. The Bible's clear. The more workers you have, the more you can get done. Well, that's deep, isn't it? Ecclesiastes 4, 9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. He sent them out by twos. He sent the disciples out by twos. When he called the 70, he sent them out by twos. Barnabas realized he needed help. And well, we could take a few minutes and bog down and look at the personality and the ministry of Barnabas. And he was a very gracious man. He was a godly man, a spirit-filled man as we just read. But he was also a man that was, was tender-hearted and compassionate. He was one that would always go after the ones nobody else wanted. In fact, in the book of Acts, when, Paul, when Saul got saved and all the rest of the church and the disciples were afraid of Saul because, you know, he had wrecked so much havoc in the church and destroyed the churches and had gone into the homes of people arresting and hailing them. The Bible tells us that Barnabas went and got Saul and brought him to the people and reminded them that God can change people. He was a, he was a, he was a gracious man, a loving man. And Paul, you know, Paul and, and Barnabas had two different personalities. Paul was also a gracious and spirit-filled man, but Paul was also a little bit more of a prophet. He was more a little bit dogmatic, if you will. 
And yet I think it's amazing that God used these two men with two different personalities and two different ministry experiences and two different backgrounds, brought them together, and together they were able to accomplish an amazing work here at the church at Antioch. The more workers you have, the more you can get done. There's always a need for workers in the field. Uh, Y'all stopped amen and now you're just grunting. Jesus said in Matthew 9, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. We know Jesus prayed about a lot of things and prayed for a lot of people, but as far as I can tell, this is the only prayer request he ever shared with his disciples, and it was a prayer request for more workers. What about that? This year, God has expanded our opportunities and enlarged our coasts here at Calvary Baptist Church. In the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of a, of, of a, of a whole world shutting down and all of these things that we would look at and say, man, these are adverse uh, things. God has used these things in an amazing way to give us greater reach and greater influence and greater impact. We've got people right now in the cornfields of Nebraska watching our services. We've got people in Kansas watching our services. We've got people right now in California that got up uh, way before they normally would. It's, I mean, it's a three-hour time difference to watch our services here at Calvary Baptist Church and around the world. And I'm just giving you just a few examples. There's emails and text messages that I've got from people all over the United States that have been impacted by our church. And I'm just going to be honest with you right now. God has opened doors and expanded our horizons. Thank God for that. Amen. This year, God allowed us to bring Brother Burner on to help minister to our senior saints. And what a, what a ministry that is. We've got, a, we've got a large number of senior saints in our church here, more, more than I could handle, more than I could see about and take care of and check up on. And I do, I call them all the time as I'm going down the road or sometimes I'm sitting at the table and I grab my phone. My wife says, what are you doing? I said, I'm gonna call so-and-so while I'm thinking about it. Sometimes I have to push my phone away and not call because I think about it at the most inopportune times. But there's not enough for me to go around to call and check on our senior citizens and make sure they're okay. And God allowed Brother Burner to come on to help us do that. He's doing a fine job. God allowed Brother Leader and his wife to come here and their family, what a precious family, Amen. to help work with the young people. Grace and I have been working with the young people for the last five and a half years and to have somebody come on and take that Sunday school class and take the youth ministry and, and to work with them, be able to focus on them and give them the time and the attention that they deserve, I couldn't do it by myself. There's not enough for me to go around. All I'm saying this morning is we've recruited multiple workers to help. God's opened up doors at the Baltimore Rescue Mission as different churches and different ministries have stepped back or, or, or whatever the case might be because of the shutdown. Brother, Brother uh, Bettner would call and say, we got Monday nights and Tuesday nights discipleship classes available. Uh, do you have somebody that can do discipleship on Monday nights and Tuesday nights? Do you have somebody that can come down on Wednesday nights? And I mean, God just opened up doors at the Karis House and the Baltimore Rescue Mission, and we've, we've seen a group of people rise up in this church, and God's allowed us to open uh, and, and open doors, and he's opened doors for us, and, and I'm telling you, it needs, it needs to be, it's work needs to be done, and we need people to do it. Plenty of work to be done. Now we're talking about 
going down and, 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 and running buses down there on Sunday morning trying to bus them up here. I need a few more people to get some seat, get, get a CDL. Well, that went over like a lead balloon, didn't it? <laughs> Amen. Blessed are the feet of those that drive the bus to bring people to church. I believe that's what it says in the King James Bible. Don't hold me to that. Just take my word for it. I believe that's what it says. Amen. Hey, if, we, if you'll bring some fish and help stock the pond, I'll do what I can to catch some of them. I love fishing in the stock pond. You'll bring them in here, I'll preach to them. But I can't do it all. I'm going to confess, I don't have a CDL. You know why I don't have a CDL? Because I'd be driving a bus every Sunday morning if I had one. And then who's going to study and preach? So on purpose, I didn't get a CDL. So unless you want to preach on Sunday mornings, you go get one and help me get these people to church. Amen. Well, Lord, if you'll help me get through this message, I sure would appreciate it because I think I hit a few stumps right up in here somewhere. Paul and Barnabas, two completely different personalities, but they worked together. Both of them, they brought things to the table that were necessary to get the job done. Neither of them were in it for self-recognition or self-promotion. They worked together to reach more people and help more people. And if there's anything I learned this year, I mean from the sound booth and the live stream crew to the music department to the children's department, I've learned in every area of ministry that we need workers so that we can make a difference and reach more people for Christ. Our teachers, our school's done a phenomenal job. I'm bragging on him, Brother Payne, and even here to hear it. He's down with family in North Carolina. Don't tell him I said something nice about him. It'll go to his head. Done a phenomenal job through this pandemic, organizing distant learning and helping parents and kids. I'm telling you, our teachers have done a great job. Great job. I didn't want to shut the school. I wanted to keep the school open, but I couldn't do it by myself. And that's, 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 that's beyond my pay grade. I needed help. One thing I learned this year, hope you learned this year, the potential of balanced teamwork. It's amazing. God will put all of us together and do amazing things for God's honor and glory. God did that here in Acts chapter number 11. We always need more workers, always need more helpers. We're planning on this coming year. I'll say more about it next Sunday. You don't want to miss next Sunday, Vision Sunday. We've got some things I want to lay out for you. But we're planning on trying our best to figure out how to utilize every person in this church for the ministry and the work of God. God didn't save you to sit you on a pew somewhere and wait for the rapture. Come on now. Please be back next Sunday to hear the rest of that. Not trying to scare you off. Trying to recruit you, amen. Number two, write this down. We see the priority of Bible teaching. Lessons learned in the last year, the potential of balanced teamwork. Secondly, the priority of Bible teaching. It cannot be stressed enough that teaching new converts the Bible, the Word of God is absolutely essential. The Bible says in verse number 26, and when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the people of the church and taught much people. Jesus incorporated teaching and discipleship into what we call the Great Commission. Amen. Get them saved, get them baptized, and then get them discipled. Amen. That's what the Bible says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Well, how are you going to teach them to observe all things until they've learned 
all things. Amen. There's a process by which that has to be done. The Great Commission is clear, and Barnabas and Paul were committed to the priority, the preeminence of Bible teaching. They didn't just go in there and conduct a three-day conference. They didn't go in there and conduct a two-week crash course in biblical Christianity. They assembled with the church for a whole year, and we don't have to worry about what they taught them. We know what they taught them. Verse number 19, look at it. says that these people were products of someone preaching the word. Is that what your Bible says? They preached the word. Is that what your Bible says? Yeah. And then you get down to verse number 20. These people were products of somebody preaching the Lord Jesus. They were preaching the word in verse 19. They were preaching the Lord Jesus in verse number 20. And then Barnabas showed up in verse 23. And the Bible says that he exhorted them that they should cleave unto the Lord. So what had they been taught up to this point? They had been taught the word of God. They had been taught the Lord Jesus Christ. And they had been taught to have a relationship with God. Cleave unto the Lord. They had been taught and admonished and exhorted to get as close to God as they possibly could. We've been talking behind the scenes about starting back up the Bible Institute. Help me pray about that, will you? Had a Bible college in South Africa for a number of years, trained our replacement, our young man that we ordained and put in the church when we left. Then we had a Bible Institute down in uh, South Carolina for a number of years and trained our laymen and preachers in the church. And we came here and a year or so ago, we, we experimented with it. We had it for about a semester. It seemed like there was a lot of interest and because of the lot of work and the effort that goes into it, we just kind of put a pin in it, but it's come back up and we're just praying about it. If it's God's will, we will. If it's God's will, we won't. But I can tell you this right now, it'll be one of the most unorthodox Bible institutes you've ever heard of. But a lot of the Bible institutes that are out there today, I wouldn't give you a used dip of snuff for what they're teaching. I'm completely blown away at how people come across the stage and get a diploma and not know any more about God than what they know. And not have any better of a relationship with Jesus Christ than what they have. And they have a lot of head knowledge. They, they put a lot of wrinkles in the gray matter of their brain, but they didn't really get to the place to where they could get their hand on something that would help them make a difference for the kingdom of God. Yes, Ever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Yes, One thing the ministry's taught me is that we need to get back to just basic Bible discipleship of new converts. And we're going to talk more about that next Sunday. You don't want to miss this. God's done a work in my heart. God's done some things, and we're going to have a different emphasis next, this coming year than we've had this past year. But I believe that the, nothing that God has taught me in the last year, he's taught me that the reason why our church, I believe, was able to survive the last year and be able to come through stronger than ever before is because there had been an emphasis on the teaching of the Word of God, and you're here today because you were rooted in Christ. You were rooted in Christ. Amen. Not in a man, not in a movement, not in a church, but you were rooted in Christ. That's why you're still here. Amen. We've had a few people fall through the, way, uh, through the cracks, and my heart breaks for them. The devil's got a few people out of church. We're after them hard as we can. But I'm going to tell you why they're not here this morning. It's because they weren't properly discipled, and they were not rooted in Christ. We need to make that a priority. Amen. I said we need to make that a priority. I need you to help me. 
I need you to help me. And we'll lay it all out, Lord willing, over the next few weeks. But the teaching that was done during this year was the same teaching that got them saved. They taught them the word. They taught them Jesus Christ. Paul was a firm believer in discipleship. In Acts chapter 14, just a couple chapters over, in verse 21, the Bible says, when they had preached the gospel of that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra. Everywhere Paul went, he didn't just preach the gospel, but he did some intense discipleship. And churches were popping up everywhere Paul preached as a product of their salvation experience and their being taught and grounded in the fundamentals of the Word of God. Verse 22 of Acts 14 says that he was confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. Paul was a firm believer in discipleship. In fact, in Acts chapter number 20, and verse number 20, as Paul left the Ephesian elders, he said to them a statement that every pastor should be able to say to his church if he's been there for any length of time. He said this in Acts 20, 20. Paul said, I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. Paul said, I didn't just teach you when we were all together in the church, but I would go to your home and sit down with you. And I just want to let you know I'm leaving here, but I have taught you every possible thing that I possibly could to help you survive and succeed as a Christian. And by the way, you're going to need more than what you get at church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Amen. You need to be discipled and grounded in the Word of God. Well, let me move on to number three. I got a lot more I could say. By the way, the discipleship, this teaching is not just for preachers right. and evangelists right. and missionaries. I love the Bible and how it says this. In verse number 24, much people was added unto the Lord. Is that what your Bible says? Much people was added unto the Lord. When you get down to verse number 26, they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. Much people got saved and much people got discipled. Amen. Just like a newborn babe has to be, has to be helped along and has to be carried and spoon-fed and, and, and protected from the outside, from, the, from those things. A new convert needs to be discipled. By the way, the Great Commission, have I got your undivided attention? The Great Commission was given to you just as much as it was to me. Well, I'm not a pastor. That's not my job. No, the Great Commission was given to all of us. Get them saved, get them baptized, and get them discipled. I need your help. As a church, these are some things that we should have learned in the last year. The importance of Bible teaching. People are starving for Bible teaching, by the way. There's a famine in this country for strong Bible preaching and Bible teaching. Not everybody appreciates it, but some do. I've watched Satan steal away a few people, pull a few out of church, create fear and confusion in hearts. But I believe the grounding in the Word of God is essential to keeping folks in church where they belong. By the way, I believe God's taught me that the house of God's more permanent, more important than ever before. I've always believed in the local church. I'm local church from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. But after this year and seeing the all-out assault on churches, the governor of Virginia having the audacity. I mean, this is the guy that believes that you can have a baby and sit over here on the counter and have a conversation and decide whether or not you're going to let it live. Telling us, telling the church 
that I don't think you have to go to church to talk to God. Well, first of all, he wouldn't know God if God walked up to him and slapped him in the face. Last thing I plan on doing is taking lessons on how to have church and how to operate from a bunch of liberals that don't know God. A bunch of baby killers. Amen. I'm tired of them telling us how to worship our God. We worship God the way God told us to. I don't think it's a mistake that they came. The Bible says for a whole year they assembled themselves with the church. That's a key part of that verse. The discipleship, the growth, the teaching, the mentoring was all done together inside, assembled with the church. Right. Amen. <laughs> Pastor Sheffield, that was because they didn't have Zoom back then. <laughs> Number three, write this down. I'm trying to be nice this morning. I really am. One of my, one of my New Year. What are they called? Yeah, resolutions. I'm going to try to be nice. I said try. I'm going to try to be nice this coming year. But I ain't making no promises. You get talking about these liberals, it gets my blood pressure up. Back to our message. The presentation, write this down. The presentation of a bold testimony was lessons learned during this year in our text. I mean, what an amazing, this is, by the way, it's the first time you find the word Christian in the Bible. I like that word Christian. Boy, it's been hijacked. It's been hijacked by a bunch of people that, that are not Christians. They figured out if they slap Christian label on the front of it, that they can market a bunch of dumb Christians that don't know the difference in something that just has Christian label on it and something that's really Christian. But they were first called Christians here at Antioch. Amen. Is everybody okay? Just because it's got Christian in front of it don't mean it's Christian. You go to the so-called Christian bookstore and there's a bunch of garbage in there. Well, I got it at the Christian bookstore. Don't make no never mind. You better be careful. You better watch out. Well, I got it in the Christian music section. You better be careful. Where are we at? I'm trying to preach. Y'all keep distracting me with all this stuff. Notice the process by which this name came about. The Bible says they were called Christians. Is that what your Bible says? And the disciples were called Christians. They didn't call themselves Christians. They didn't label themselves Christians. They were followers of Jesus Christ to the extent that others around them called them Christians. That's what the word Christian means, a follower of Jesus Christ. And I think it's amazing that first they were taught Jesus Christ in verse number 20, verse number 26, and then they exemplified Jesus Christ. You can't be a Christian. You can't exemplify Jesus Christ until you've been taught Jesus Christ. One thing I've been reminded of this past year, people are watching. People are watching. Oh my goodness, are they watching. Those outside the church are watching those of us inside the church. And these people's testimony was the result of them assembling themselves with the church. 
You cannot, I believe this with all my heart, you cannot have a bold testimony as a Christian apart from the New Testament local church. Those are two vitally essential elements. Your participation, don't dial me now, your participation in the local church and your testimony as a Christian are joined at the hip. They assemble themselves with the church. Paul said in Hebrews, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. So much the more as you see the day approaching. You want to be a strong Christian? You need to find a good strong church and get plugged in. <laughs> and you're in one, by the way. In case you hadn't figured that out, we'll help you with that. As we close out, another year, can folks look at you and call you a Christian? What you're doing and how you act and the way you talk and the way you live, does it cause people around you to label you a Christian? If you were, if you were arrested today for being a Christian, is there enough evidence to convict you? Come on now. If they were to make being a Christian illegal, which they will for it's over with. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh, yeah. It's almost, I mean, it's, it's illegal now to just have common sense. You know I'm telling the truth. If, you, if you've got an IQ higher than room temperature, you're borderline criminal these days. The dumber you are and the more of a dumb sheep you are, the better of a citizen you're considered to be. There will come a day when being a Christian is illegal. I wonder if they were to conduct an investigation of your life, go through your house, your home, your vehicle, go through your phone, your computer. Is there enough evidence that you're a Christian to convict you. What have I learned this year? Recap. I learned, Brother Snipe, there's still people that want to be saved. There's still people that are willing to serve. And there's still people watching the saints. <laughs> they're watching us. They're watching you and they're watching me. Are we learning what we should be learning so that we could be showing what we should be showing? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I wonder this morning, if God is speaking to your heart, would you come? We've got some that are being baptized this morning. Brian and Vanessa joined our church a few weeks ago, are being baptized this morning, rebaptized, I should say, becoming a member of our church. So while they're getting ready, you've got plenty of time to leave your seat and come down here and kneel on this altar and spend some time talking to God. If God spoke to your heart this morning, we're going to need workers in 2021. We're going to need servants and workers. We're going to need folks that'll step up to the plate and say, Preacher, what can I do to help disciple new converts? Get folks saved, get them grounded, get them discipled in the Word of God. Let me ask you a question. Are you a Christian? I'm not asking you if you call yourself a Christian. I mean, are you really a Christian? Do those around you call you 
a Christian. There may be somebody here this morning say, Pastor Shifflin, I'm not sure if I died right now that I'd go to heaven. I can't say for certain that I know where I'm going to spend eternity. And I would appreciate it if you would remember me in prayer. Would you be honest enough this morning to just slip your hand up? Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure if I died right now I'd go to heaven. And I want you to pray for me. I see that hand. God bless you. Anybody else? There's a couple raised their hand. We wouldn't embarrass you for nothing in this world. We just want to help you this morning. It'd be our honor to take a Bible and help you get that settled, get that figured out today. These things have I written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life.